Welcome to The Forge, the podcast for barbers by two guys who know hair. My name is Carson. And my name is Kyle, and together we run Forge Hairscape, a men's grooming product line. All right, everybody, today on the podcast, we've got a treat. We have one of the most influential leaders in the barbering industry, Lee Resnick. He is the man behind Barbershop Connect. If you've been living under a rock and are somehow unaware, Barbershop Connect is an online barbering platform that Lee has grown to over 1.1 million followers on Instagram. He is also the founder of BarberCon, what can really only be described as a global barbering festival. He brings in thousands of barbers from all over the world in New York City and LA and soon to be Austin. This is one of the most interesting conversations we've had yet. Um, We asked Lee to jump on the podcast for 15 to 20 minutes and we ended up talking for almost an hour. So we're going to split this into two parts. The first part's going to be his coming up story. He's going to walk us through his journey starting as a rapper and owner of a record label to starting Barbershop Connect and later BarberCon. The second episode is going to be more practical advice from Lee to Barbers, everything from how to survive the pandemic and keep growing your client base during these times, as well as some social media tips from somebody who has over 1.1 million followers on Instagram. Lee also has some crazy stories that you're not going to want to miss that we're going to get to in the second part as well. Before we get started, don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. You can find us on Instagram at ForgeHairscape or at ForgeHairscape.com. And now, part one with Lee Resnick of Barbershop Connect. All right, and we are here with Lee Resnick. How's it going, Lee? Uh, it's fantastic. How are you, Carson? Pretty good, pretty good. We want to get you on. Uh, so for those that don't know, Lee is the owner and founder of uh, Barbershop Connect on Instagram, and he also runs all the BarberCon conferences. Um, so we, we definitely wanted to get you on, you know, being a leader in the industry, running one of the biggest um, barber conventions in the country. So it's, it's definitely good to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, man. You know? Yeah, we wanted to, I know, like, you know, we've, we've done a little research on you and um, we don't want to have right. just the exact same interview that you get all the time, but okay. you do have a pretty incredible story um, about how you got into the industry. So we were hoping you could just kind of briefly go over, you know, what you were doing right before you got in the barbershop industry and then how you got into it. Okay. So uh, I actually came from the music business. Uh, I started a record company. Um, I actually was a rapper when I was 13, uh, started a record company, uh, built that up, worked with a lot of different rap artists, uh, some that you may know, some that you may not. Uh, and um, I actually started BarbershopConnect.com out of Universal Records. Uh, my partner uh, for my marketing was a guy named Steve Rifkin, who ran Loud Records, for those of you who don't know, Loud Records put out Wu-Tang Clan, Mob Deep, Big Pun, 3-6 Mafia, and I mean, a, a ton of artists, but uh, exhibit. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I started the platform because I, I, I originally started marketing music videos through barbershops, uh, and I built this network, uh, and I used to do... Um, music video DVD compilations that would go to barbershops and then get direct feedback that would go back to the record companies. So uh, I then started getting hired to do marketing campaigns for Microsoft, Procter & Gamble, uh, Harley Davidson, uh, the NBA, all different brands. And uh, I started Barbershop Connect because I had a rapper that wasn't going to make it. And I paid for him to become a barber. And uh, from there, 
I got introduced to the barbering world. And at that time, you know, this was in the days of MySpace. So there right. was no Facebook, no Instagram, uh, no YouTube. Uh, and um, yeah, so I started this platform of equality. And I didn't really know whether anyone was going to care. And uh, yeah, I started showcasing haircuts. And it became millions and millions of barbers that would go to my website called barbershopconnect.com. And uh, I knew nothing. I didn't know. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had a a barber that would tell me what to post. So he would send me a haircut and say fade, and then I'd credit the barber. <laughs> uh, you know, pompadour, whatever it may be. And uh, you know, I was the only one doing it at this time. And uh, it was interesting because I didn't have a marketing background, uh, but I got. I fell in love with the world when I went to this big convention. I went to the IBS show and I walked in and it's funny because now I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, the barbering corner, I say corner because it was like in the back corner uh, of this huge convention center. I had a lot of energy, but not a lot of money. So like everything looked like a flea market and uh and then when i turned the corner it was like a broadway show where you saw women on stage with these you know beautiful booths and like crazy lighting and and i was like well how come these guys don't have that and and it was like well no one thinks that the barbers have any value and that was it for me i got sold as trying to become the person that would uh add value to the barbers right that's how i started gotcha and and how did you so you at this point, when you went to the IBS show, you were already doing Barbershop Connect, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and so then from when you went to that show, you were like, let's start our own convention? Or how did you get from... No, I didn't, well, I, that was like much later. Uh, my main thing was uh, I kind of like, I'm trying to think of how I could put this. Um, I, start, I, I wanted to create revenue for barbers from behind the chair. So I would create marketing plans, 35 to 50 page marketing plan. Okay. And I wanted to meet with these companies because they looked like they had so much money. And I was like, maybe I could show them this whole world of barbering that they're missing and I could reach this world. And nobody wanted to know from me. You got to mm -hmm. keep in mind I was wearing jeans, sneakers, and a t-shirt, uh, a Lacoste black collared t-shirt. Everyone did not look like me. <laughs> okay. All the men were in button down shirts, like khaki pants oh, and black. A lot of men were in all black. That was like the look, you know, and they all seemed to know each other. And here I come in, not that I was flashy, but I just clearly did not look like I belonged. So. I came in with these like printed decks that were binded at Kinko's and it said Barbershop Connect Marketing and nobody wanted to know from me. And the funny thing was, is I, you know, at that IBS show, like, you know, I was trying to figure it out and I went to the Cosmoprof show in Las Vegas. And it was totally different than anything I've been to because the carpeting was nicer than what was in my house. And I walked the floor and it was a very quiet show. There was no, it was all business. And 
I got to meet all these different companies. And what I learned is, you know, I'm sitting here talking about like, uh, at that time, social media just started. Most of them didn't even know what social media was, you know, and here I am trying to explain the value of what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I'll never forget William Marvey, who owns Marvicide, said to me, I don't even know how to turn on a computer. You have to go talk to my son. And I was like, OK. So I checked him off the list. Then I went to another company. I was like, hey, you know, I have this marketing. And they were like, Bobbers. Yeah, we don't make any money from that. Cross them off the list. And then I got to meet with this woman named Ileana Moya. And she worked at this company, Oster. And she sat down with me and she, she said, she says, do you see me? And I said, yes. She says, I'm not cool. So I, I didn't know what to say. I said, oh, okay. You know, she said, you, you, you don't look like anyone here. You look cool. So I said, really? I said, okay. All right, cool. I, I, then I, <laughs> I feel cool. She said, well, you see them over there? And she pointed at Andis. She said, look at them. They're cool. She said, you see Walt? Cool. We are not cool. She said, so if I hire you to market us, can you make us cool? I said, hell yeah, I can make you cool. I'll make you the coolest <laughs> damn thing you know. So she said, all right. So she gave me one clipper that was an awful clipper to market. And I said, I'm going to make this clipper cool no matter what I do. So I sent that clipper to every barber that I thought was cool. And I said, hey, do me a favor. Post this. Use it. And, and you know, tag us and say it's cool. So, at that, you know, again, at that time, nobody was getting anything. So everyone's like, oh, shit, Lee sent me a damn right. clipper, you know? So they did it. Next thing you know, everyone is sharing this thing. So they eventually hired me. They had no social media. I built their social media and grew it until they sold their company. And then what happened was is Instagram happened. And from there, it just became like one thing after another of, uh, you know, being proactive. A lot of right. people are very reactive in this right. business. You know, they see what someone else is doing and they're like, oh, that's working for them. We got to get in there. And they don't really even understand sometimes why it's happening. I got hired by a company that told me the president of the company said, look, I'm going to hire you and I don't even know what you do. I don't even understand why I'm paying you. But the girl in the other office, she told me that I have to hire you. So I'm hiring you. So I said, well, how does that make me feel? So if I do a great job, you're still not even going to understand what I'm doing? And he right. said, no, I don't. But I'm just trusting that you're going to do something. And it was great because two months into my campaign, I told him that one of the things that he manufactured is not good. And he was like, what do you mean it's not good? I mean, no one had the balls to tell him it didn't work. Right. And I said, look, and I showed him all this feedback from all these different barbers. And it ends up I saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars from manufacturing an item that didn't work. Right. And I said to him, now do you understand what I do? And he said, no, but I understand <laughs> you just saved me a shitload of money. <laughs> so, that, you know, yeah. So that's how it started for me, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, I was sort of wondering. So it sounds like you took a bunch of your marketing expertise from your music entertainment days and sort of just translated that over into barbering in that industry. Is there anything else that you took away from the entertainment culture and translated it over into yeah, your barber I, industry? So like DJs, I came from like uh, promoting DJs, 
you know, I, I had like, you know, I was working with different guys before they were, you know, big. Like I did this crazy campaign. We were sending like stuff to Diplo to all these different guys. And, uh, and at that time, again, companies didn't even understand the value of a DJ, you know? So, uh, you know, the problem is, is DJs would, they'll, they'll promote your product for a six pack of beer. You know, if you told them, oh, I got a six pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon, they're like, great, I'm in, you know? <laughs> so barbers were the same way. And I'm like, listen, if you undervalue yourself, you will get what that is. So me, Lee Resnick, in the jeans and sneakers, I learned when to wear jeans and sneakers and when to wear a suit, right. okay? Because I learned that if I walk into a very corporate building and I look the way I normally do, I am going to get undercut in what they will pay me, okay? Because they're going to look at me and say, you know what? Instead of giving him $300,000, he looks like $100,000. He'll jump out of the seat. But if I was wearing a suit and played that part, then they wouldn't have undercut. You know what I mean? Right, so, right, yeah. uh, so I learned a lot about that. You know, unfortunately, in business, a lot of it comes to perception, mm -hmm. not substance. So, like, when you look at barbers, you know, a lot of what's going on now is, you know, people want to feel like they have money. So they use clippers that make them feel like they have money. You know, like everybody's like, oh, the gold clipper. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, the gold makes you feel like you have money. If that shit was brown, nobody would be talking about it. You know what right. I mean? But again, that's that's like stuff that I have taken in and applied to what I do. You know, like BarberCon, it's funny, like Carson, you said, oh, convention. It's not a convention. Right. Okay. A convention to me has no feeling. Okay, so what I did was I looked at music festivals. I look at the younger kids and say, okay, here's a festival that all three days has a different experience. On day one, I'm going to see Chance the Rapper. On day two, I'm going to see Azab Rocky. And on day three, I'm going to see whatever. Okay, every day is something different. So what I said is if you sell an experience to people <clears throat> and you change it every year, they will always want to come back because they'll have memories right. that are different every year. A convention, it's always the same. Right. You walk the aisles and it's like, oh yeah, there's this one, there's this one that, you know, and that's it. A convention, it's like, okay, you buy cheap shit, you resell it, done. You know, <laughs> people are on stage, some people care, some people don't. But with BarberCon, I modeled it around the music festival because what I thought about is, okay, I'm a barber. I'm single. I work in a shop with a bunch of guys that I'm friends with. How am I going to, what's going to entice me to want to go to a barber event when I could just go to South Beach and party with my friends? So what entices them is saying, hey, come to this city, come to a cool barber experience, hang out with the best of the best in the business, and then go out and party like you've never seen. Or... It's, hey, I'm married. I work in a barbershop. I'm going to take my wife and my kids to wherever. I'm going to go to a barber event. And then I'm going to make a weekend of it with my wife and my kid. So it's that type of experience. Everybody takes something different. 
So people always say to me, oh, well, Lee, you need to do more with education. Well, not everybody gives a shit about education. Right. A lot do, but there are people that just want to have a beer, hang out, see some hot stylist, think that maybe he could pick her up, and <laughs> watch some education. You know what I mean? There could be another guy who says, I don't want to leave the chair. I just want to learn. You know? Right. Then there's some people who are like, wow, I just paid money. I just want the gift back. You know? Everybody is different. So how I modeled BarberCon was, first of all, I hate BarberCon. I hate doing it. I'm not into the promotional business, but uh, like being an event promoter, it's it's not easy to do, you know? But um, I knew the business needed it uh, because it was so disrespected at these bigger shows because there was no money. you got to remember, barbering was not trendy as it is now. It was not cool four or five years ago to be a barber, you know. Uh, but as that happened, I was like, I want to make an event that these people can call their own. But then I want to invite hairdressers and stylists in so people can learn from each other. And I want to ask them what they want. And then I want to ask the brands how they measure success, you know, because they're the ones who, who keep it running, you know. Right. So that's how it got built. I understand. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That kind of answered a, a bunch of the questions that I had. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no, Sorry. it's perfect. It was like, well, you didn't, we didn't have to pause and let me talk. You got to do all the talking. Go ahead, talk. <laughs> no, but uh, no, yeah. it's better if you talk, believe me. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, you know, and that's one of you know one of the things we were asking is what separates Barbacom from from the rest of them, and I think you answered it right there. But I I, I know like at one interview you were talking about how you kind of want to make it more of a wine and cheese thing. If you it's like you know it's not just barbering, it's it's art, it's it's you know photography, all the other aspects, um, rather than just barbering. Um, yeah, I mean, you know what it is, Carson. Like to be honest with you, the first Barbacon I had look like my favorite movie. My favorite movie is The Warriors. I don't even know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's like a cult gang movie, whatever. And it looked like this scene in The Warriors where they all gather around. Everyone was on top of each other. I mean, the energy in that room was insane. But you feel like you can get murdered, okay? <laughs> I mean, it just, there was like one to 3% female at most, okay? <laughs> And it's funny, like I said, next year I need a gum endorsement deal because everyone's breath was so bad and on top of each <laughs> other. But pe some people loved it. They were like, this is the sickest thing because it was like, it felt like you were in a movie. But then I thought about it from a brand perspective. I'm like, Jesus, with 3,000 people on top of each other, how are they going to sell product? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and how is this going to grow? So that was when I said, I got to take steps back to take bigger steps forward. So I started changing up what it looked like. And I lost a lot of people by doing that. People were like, oh, you know, now it's falling off. It's a, but they, they don't, they didn't see the direction of where I was trying to take it. To me, and again, this is me and this separates me from a lot of other people. And I'll argue with people to the end about this. Too many brands and people attending are into numbers. They want to see 5,000 people in a room and think that that's great. But those 5,000 people, they may not be quality people. You know what I mean? Uh, 
I would rather have less people that actually are engaged in what's happening than more that really don't care. Right. Okay. Because that doesn't lead to anything. All it is is a body in the room. Yeah. So, you know, in order to do that, I could say, okay, I'm going to use my musical background and I'm going to call my friend at Atlantic Records and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to cut you a check and get me this rapper and I'm going to have a big performance. And guess who's going to come? Carson, your friend who doesn't cut hair or know anything about what you do. Okay. But he's going to bring two other friends, Joey and Chris. And now all of a sudden I got bodies. But are they buying what the hell is happening there? No, they only want to see the performance, have a drink, and then say, oh, this was cool. I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's it. So that that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get smarter uh, with my clientele. You know? Yeah. And, and we've definitely learned that from our perspective. Um, you know, we've gone to shows where they're... Because um, so what we do is we do primarily private labeling where we're selling to our product to barbershops, putting their label on it. They can customize it, our products. Um, but what we notice, you know, we've gone to some shows where, you know, the audience is great. And then other ones is primarily students that don't have their own barbershop yet or they're working for Right, they don't have the capital to even do that. Right. And, and so they they it's it becomes something where they might have more bodies in the room but they're not bodies that that you know is not our target demographic so we've definitely right. kind of learned that 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 lesson as well and and you know picking shows that that make the most sense for us as well i mean i walk away at barbicon it's funny like if i sold booths online where anyone can buy it i'd have i mean it would look like a football field but to me if you sell a booth to anybody Who's the spectator? Who's the one buying? Everybody has something. Mm -hmm. You know, a barber makes a product, a pomade in his toilet. Okay? He's got a pomade. And now, and I use this reference all the time. He comes and buys a booth at BarberCon. He's selling his product for $5 next to a laywright that's 18. Okay? Barber comes in with 20 bucks. He buys one laywright. Or he's buying four pomades from the barber. He may say, you know what? I'm going to buy the four pomades because it's four rather than one. Now he leaves. He goes back to his shop. He takes out the pomade. He uses it and says, this sucks. That's the last thing that he remembers about Barbican is I right. bought this crappy product at Barbican. Right. Not, oh, the show was great. Because people don't realize a lot of what makes a good show is the follow through after. Okay, following up from a brand perspective on leads. Who did I meet there? Okay, what is this leading to? And uh, and what are the memories that are taken? So I would rather have, you know, again, quality rather than quantity. So I turn away a lot of money uh, to keep the integrity of what I'm trying to do. Right. You know? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you said, if somebody goes away with a bad product, it not only makes it makes your whole, you know, the whole thing look bad. Makes you look bad. Makes your show look bad. It's a lot and, of bad publicity. Yeah, and the same time I mean, you, you say you're turning away money, but at the same time, you know, in, in the long run, that's going to be the best thing for your brand. It's like I, I think I, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know whether I'm right. I don't. You know, I I know that, uh, you know, especially now, like even in this pandemic, you know, uh, doing BarberCon to me. You know, people are still texting me being like, well, you're going to do it. Like, they don't even read that I'm not doing it this year, you know. 
And like, you could do it. And, I, and I'm like, look, man, you know, like to be quite honest with you, if you can't do it at a hundred percent, then it's a disservice to everybody. Right. Cause I look at everyone's money. Like it's my money. Okay. So whether you're a sponsor, whether you're someone who buys a booth, whether you're an attendee, you know, like I want you to have a great experience because I want you to come back. You know, that's why like for BarberCon for me, LA, like I sell LA out for vendors and sponsors in like a week and a half, two weeks, because if you do right by everybody, you don't even have to worry about anything the next year. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I different than anything. I refunded everybody their money. Now, I'm sitting here listening to barber shops telling me how much money they're losing, and I'm thinking, you have no idea how much money I'm losing. I'm losing <laughs> three events here, you know. <laughs> but I'm hoping that people will appreciate the fact right. that in this time, I, you know, I understood where they were coming from, you know. Uh, and the interesting thing is, when I was doing this, I thought about the small people like yourself, okay, like guys who are just starting out who are trying to do something the weird thing to me was is they didn't call me like the small people who didn't have the capital were not the ones who'd be like holy shit where's my money i need my refund <laughs> it was the big companies that were like i need my money you know like damn you know like you yeah. got a lot more than carson you know he's not <laughs> calling me but you want yours back? Okay, listen, I'm, I'm going to give it back to you the same way I'm giving it to everybody. But don't tell me, oh, yeah, barbers, we support you. You know, when shit gets bad, everybody's like, give me my money, hold yeah. on to my money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's funny, like, even today, I was talking to a barber, and he said to me, he's like, yo, where's all the leaders now? Where are all these influencers? How come they're not helping out the community? Right. You know, I'm like, just because someone's an influencer doesn't mean that they're going to be helping out the community. Like, that's that's a sad mistake. You know, I'm like, it's very difficult to convince a community that you're genuinely interested in helping them. You know, oh, yeah, I got money. Like, I tried doing it. I tried doing a, uh, a GoFundMe page. People thought I was trying to rip them off money. I'm like, here I am donating my own money to try and help people I don't even know. And now people are like, oh, what's there to this? If I have, if I don't have a following, are you going to get me money? I'm like, I don't care about your following. You know, it's very backwards. But yeah. I don't know. Anyway, what else you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> that concludes part one with Lee Resnick of Barbershop Connect. Don't forget to listen to part two. It's where we really get into the practical advice from Lee, as well as some of the crazier and hilarious stories he's experienced in the industry. We are releasing both episodes at the same time. So if you're listening to this, then part two is also available. You can find Lee on Instagram at Barbershop Connect. You can find us at Forge Hairscape. And until next time, this has been The Forge. But seriously, like, go listen to part two right now.